Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Unsubscribe, the Demand Drive podcast. I am your host, AJ Alonzo, and today we've got a bunch of questions for Andy Culligan about B2B sales and marketing. But before I go ahead and turn it over to him, uh, Alex, you're here too. How are you today? I'm good. I feel like you always do this thing where you say the guest's name, and I'm not sure if you're going to forget to introduce me or not. It's like I playing roulette you every toes. time. I love it. Uh, no, things are good. Things are good. Always good to hear. Um, our guest, Andy Culligan, I'm very excited to chat with him. He's got a wealth of experience in the B2B sales and marketing space, acting now as a fractional CMO and CRO for a bunch of different organizations. So Andy, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience for anyone who doesn't know you or, or what you're all about. Uh, give us a brief history of, of who is Andy Culligan. All right, cool. Yeah, so uh, no, thanks for having me on, guys, AJ. And of course. Um, so uh, I have been in the tech space now for nearly a decade or so prior to that in another different under industry. So I've been in, like, doing some level of sales or marketing since I'm the age of maybe 13 or 14 years old. I was, you wow. know, <laughs> I started doing that. I was always interested in sales. Uh, started my career as a seller, started my career as an SDR proper career after I finished uni. I studied to be a marketer, but then I decided to go to sales because there's more money in sales. Um, and uh, that's how I became an SDR. And then I was an account manager. And then I decided I wanted to earn less money and I went into marketing. So I uh, I then, yeah, I, I ran marketing for uh, across EMEA. Uh, so Europe, Middle East and Africa for a multinational. Did that for, for a bit of time. And then after I learned quite a lot there in terms of marketing automation, lead generation, uh, so I was I was looking after Marketo as like the global go-to person for Marketo. And this was back in like 2011, right? When Marketo was really in its infancy. Most marketing automation platforms were in their infancy, right? Um, the reason behind that was, by the way, because I built my own marketing automation pl platform before with a developer back in like 2007, 2008. Because wow. we, couldn't, we couldn't afford one. So we built an email marketing tool. We basically... Uh, it was it was a piece of shit but it worked right <laughs> and we managed to like we were we were um competing with groupon in ireland that's what we were doing we were competing with groupon and then i actually moved i, I don't live in ireland any longer i live in the continent i live in i live in austria i live in vienna and um then i joined that multinational and then following a couple of years there becoming an expert in marketo lead gen and so on i then joined a company called amarsis and amarsis is just recently acquired by SAP, but I was the, I was the global global director of demand gen there for a, a number of years, and then I learned how to really build out a marketing team, understand how it works in a in a large tech company, focus on annual recurring revenue. Which the recurring revenue SaaS model I wasn't used to at all. I had no experience in it before moving in, and of course, like my head was about to spin off my shoulders at that point because it's wild, you know, like it's just really fast paced moving you know it's just it's just how it goes and uh yeah so moved up through the rankings there pretty quickly and then made a i would say a relatively good name for myself internally and then also somewhat externally and then i i got poached by a competitor to come in and be their vp of marketing which was not that popular of a decision with the senior leadership team in amaris but i still have a very good relationship with the ex-ceo who's just literally left the business just um, after the acquisition from SAP but I then was a VP of marketing with a company called Exponia and uh, did that for a number of years grew the company very rapidly from sort of uh, 4 million ARR up to nearly 20 million ARR in the space of two years so it was you know a wild ride as you can imagine quadrupling the revenue so mm -hmm. 
the fun never stopped. Um, so I had under on that marketing team, I also took the SDR team under my wing as well. So, um, and also like I, I pride myself on trying to get as close as I can to sales teams and also head to sales. So I think the marketing and sales has need to be working with each other in tandem rather than working against one another, which you see quite oh, yeah. a lot. Um, and then I did that for a number of years and I, I, you know, I was selling B2C software or software that was, you know, developed for retailers to get more customers or to retain their customers better, to get more money out of their existing customer base. And uh, I've always been a B2B marketer. So for me, it was like I, my message, I, I couldn't really see eye to eye with the prospect in a way, mm, you know? Interesting, yeah. So I, I moved to uh, another company, Leadfeeder, where we actually got to know each other, AJ. Mm -hmm. I was a CMO there for two years almost. And um, we grew the revenue again, like double the revenue during the COVID times. And it was uh, super interesting. It was a different model to what I'd been used to as well. It was a volume business model rather than an enterprise business model. So many, many, many users, many individual users, many individual paying accounts, like thousands, like 60,000 users. And out of that, like 35,000 paying accounts, you know, um, whereas I would be used to maybe Amaris's times 1,000 paying customers, mm. Sponia times 250 paying customers, right? Mm -hmm. But they would pay you a considerable amount more than right. what leave your customers <laughs> would pay, right? So, so uh, I did that for a number of years and I, 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 I bowed out of there just knowing that, okay, we got to our next level of growth and I was happy with that. And I, I decided to take a step, I stepped away from the business. And uh, then people started uh, like reaching out saying, now oh, I heard you left lead feeder. Are you interested in a full-time gig here, full-time gig there? And I, I was tired after COVID and everything. And it was just, I was like, no, I'm fine. Like, I don't want a full-time gig. You're fine. And so I just started talking to people and just saying, hey, look, I'll help you out. But, you know, I can't promise anything. And then I was like, my wife, like, she was like pushing me the entire time. You should start up your own business. You know, you should mm. try to do something. And I was like, Let's just see how it goes. I'll take a bit of a break. I was super tired, you know. Uh, as I, she, she just said, you should do it. And she's super risk averse, super risk averse. <laughs> like I've been saying for years, I want to start my own business. She's like, that's a terrible idea. And she started saying to me, you need to start your own business. Like, Wait a so, minute, what's going on here? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I started listening to her, and then I just started bringing in like people. Just kept on reaching out, and. Uh, I started that in like June of last year, July of last year, and it's been going strong ever since. I work with a number of companies in the, in the tech space, all SaaS companies, um, really fast growing companies as well. So like one company that I'm working with, I'm currently like um, mix. You can probably see it like a fractional chief chief commercial officer, almost sales and marketing, but report to me. Um, and it's uh, like we managed to triple ARR last quarter. Oh wow! So so like that is super fast growing right super super fast paced stuff but uh yeah and that's that's what i'm doing nowadays i'm working with a number of different tech companies just helping them grow really as you said folks sales marketing side of things and also working together with some founders just try to get them ready to work with investors and so on that are early stage but early stage all the way up to sort of 20 to 25 million arr as well it's also there so Sorry for the super long intro, by the way. No, that's oh, great. It it really <laughs> it sets the tone for the rest of the conversation for sure. Because I definitely want to focus on the fact that I mean, you have like you just described a ton of experience in the in specifically the B two B sales and marketing space. You've worked with, like you said, companies going all the way up to that twenty five million ARR, and like 
knowing the ins and outs of those organizations, what really helps them grow and what you need to come in and be able to understand at that high level, the levers and to pull to, to sort of get them to that next step. So um, I wanted to ask and start the conversation off with, with, with your current experience as, as working in that fractional space, going into an organization, what do you see them needing the most help with? Like, what do you get brought in to consult and advise on the most? Is it alignment, underperforming SDR teams, weak inbound engines? Like, what are you seeing the most of uh, when you get brought in? Like the top line thing is normally like they, they're not creating enough pipeline. Simple as that. So we're unable to create pipeline. And the reason why they're not creating pipeline is because of a myriad of reasons, right? It's And it's typically mixed between uh, account executives, SDRs and marketing, right? It's all of the above. Maybe product is also a problem as well. Maybe some of the product features and functionalities that they're trying to push out to a certain audience are not that interesting to that specific audience product market fits not there like there's there's so many things that could be going wrong but it's the top line problem is normally we're unable to generate demand or we're not generating demand or we've promised our board x that we would generate this amount of demand and we are unable to generate that amount of demand or investors are making us generate this amount of demand which is normally insane when you're getting involved with vcs anyway and it's, then they're like, oh, shit, this is incredibly difficult to do, especially <laughs> if you don't know how to do it. Um, or, or they can't find a senior marketer to help run it because the, mar- the, the market right now is super hard to find people. And um, so like, it's a mix of all of the above, I would say. So when you, when you do get brought into these organizations then, and they're saying like, we just don't have the pipeline to hit the goals that have been put in place? What are, what are some of the big fixes that you tend to go to immediately knowing what you know about the organization? You know, you're, you're brought in fresh, basically, with a new perspective. Um, what tends to work for those types of companies? So it depends as well. Sometimes what, what I see is when you first come in, they don't look at the pipeline. They don't realize the pipeline is a problem for them. They realize that they're not making sale. Right. They're not selling anything or they're not hitting their targets when it comes to revenue. So like I, I would normally come in and tell them that they have a pipeline issue. And this is normally like a hard thing for them to swallow. But really, I don't really give a shit because like I, I don't have any I don't have this like political landscape that I'm trying right. to navigate, which you have if you're a full time employee. So I've got no problem in saying to a founder, like, you're not going to hit target this year because your pipeline's mm-hmm. not there. Well, that's what they pay you for, right? Like, they want exactly. you to come in with that perspective. Exactly, exactly. And, and your question is, how do you fix it? Well, first of all, you need to look at the reasons why. So, so why is the pipeline not good? There's normally, I, I would start with, on the, on the marketing side, like, what's happening? So what are the marketing team currently working on? Like, what are the things that you're doing? And in a lot of cases, you see that the marketing team are somewhat chasing their tails and they're not focused on things that are actually going to lend towards pipeline creation, right? Examples, right? Think of um, like they, they might be running campaigns, for example, go to LinkedIn, right? Very simple example, one company I was working with. On LinkedIn, they were trying to run lead gen campaigns, but didn't fully understand the, the full scope of what you can do on LinkedIn, right? In terms of lead gen. So for me, it's just like, if you want to get leads from LinkedIn, you need to be running lead gen ads. 
as in you don't push somebody away from LinkedIn when they're using LinkedIn to download something. So it's an extra click, which automatically cuts your conversion rate, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, keep them in the platform and get the, get the details directly sent via the platform. So if you think about it, you click a, you click a lead gen ad, formal pop-up within LinkedIn, you press submit, it basically submits your LinkedIn details, and then you get whatever piece of content in return for that. Mm-hmm. Instead, they were pushing people to an external landing page, which was pretty shitty. Anyway, that's a different story. They were pushing them to an external landing page and getting people to download from the external landing page. So you're basically getting people to jump through a couple of hoops before they give right. you their details. And that's not gonna work, right? <laughs> so like, it's just typically like loads of these low hanging fruits where you can go, okay, improve that, improve this, improve that, improve this. Depends on the business model. Volume business model is gonna be different to, a, to an enterprise business model. On the volume side, you could be looking at things like site speed, for example, and conversion rate that's happening on, their, on your website because that's very transactional in a volume game. You need to be upping your conversion rate on your site in order for people to actually give you money. So it's typical, like, for example, a lead feeder, we were very focused on conversion rate optimization, uh, conversion rate optimization on the site because we needed to push signups to the product trial signups after a two week free trial, then they would go and purchase the product, right? Think mm-hmm. of it in that way. If you're driving traffic, get them to convert, get them into the product and the product converts them, okay? The enterprise side is different. There's lots of different areas, but that's on the marketing side, just understanding really what the marketing team are doing and how they're tracking success and that their success isn't tracked on vanity metrics. Like, oh, we launched a campaign that brought in 2 million impressions. <laughs> Who gives Great. A shit? Yeah, exactly. Exactly, right? And then... I would look at uh, if there's an SDR team there, I'd also look at the SDR team and what they're doing. And I talk to every single SDR to see if they're a good SDR or a bad SDR. That's, you know, like it, and a good SDR is somebody that's got one of these in front of them the entire time, religiously taking notes, got a pen in their hand all the time. They're asking questions. They're curious. They're wanting to get better. They're, um, you can see from their cadencing that they're doing that they're they understand the prospect. They're personalizing their messaging. They're using varied channels when it comes to messaging. They're not trying to automate everything, and they're not saying they're not telling any excuses, right? Huge. So yeah, exactly. So typically, a bad SDR will come to me and say, "Well, I don't have X, Y, Z. I don't have a sequencing tool. I don't have data. I don't have this." I had one SDR telling me before. Uh, the the data that you get from Zoom Info is so shit. You know, Andy, like I can't be dealing with Zoom Info. The data is just so bad. And I was like, Zoom Info is the best tool on it's the like market for the data. It's the product leader for a reason. <laughs> exactly. You are using the Ferrari of data tools. You know, like don't try to, don't try to kid the kid right here. I know you're, <laughs> I, it's like, you know, and I tried to scope that out and then I'd be going back to, to leadership and saying, look, this is probably not going to work out. This person's trainable. This person's definitely got their head in the right place they just need support typically one of the issues that you see in the sdr team they don't get enough support mm-hmm. tech companies bring them in to fill it fill like to tick a box to say we have an sdr team great tick yeah they're just okay. you know glorified appointment setters you're not supporting them in any capacity they're just a body to to pick up a phone exactly and typically what you see is they the first couple of hires in the sdr team as well are important because you get what I see quite often is that people say, okay, we, we, let's hire an SDR. So they hire somebody and it's like, well, who's that person reporting to? Oh, they'll report to like the VP of sales, whatever. VP of sales They've got is plenty like, of time to handle that. Yeah. <laughs> running around like an absolute lunatic trying to get everything sorted. And typically the head of sales is also trying to close deals and open mm-hmm. deals. And 
carrying the team on, on their back and you, you don't want to uh you don't want to have another SDR which is essentially like a the youngest like the most junior member of the team probably mm-hmm. right um so you need you need to hire a senior SDR or at least somebody that's a leader within that team to be able to bring more people underneath them so my advice normally is to try to hire somebody that's just before getting a, a promotion to like SDR leader so a senior SDR to come in and carry a bag for a little bit of time whilst you're trying to build out or whilst they're trying to build out the SDR function. And then when you have enough people on board, what happens is then their targets will start to spread or his or his or her target will start to spread across the team. And that person can step away and just work on managing the team and making sure they're coached. Right. But typically it doesn't work in that way. People say, Oh, we just hired SDR and away you go. And right. uh, they're not set up for success. Right. They're <laughs> no. set up for failure. So and then on the sales team side, then you have uh, like in in many tech companies, they need to start creating their own pipeline as well. And there's there's a certain amount of, of pushback on that from AEs when they get to an account executive position that they're like, I don't need to do my own cold outreach anymore. I don't need to yeah. I don't need to interact with my prospect anymore. I've, I've graduated out of this role in some capacity. Laziness, right? Yes. And, and, <laughs> But the best AEs I've ever worked with will never, ever, ever depend on anybody else to populate their calendar. That's their mindset. I don't need somebody to populate my calendar. What if one week it doesn't work? What if in one month it doesn't work? I'm not hitting my number. I don't Mm -hmm. want to be dependent on someone else. It's great to have an SDR to do it, but if the SDR isn't working for whatever reason or they get to decide change direction, we get rid of an SDR team and AEs are now responsible. Mm-hmm. You know, the best AEs I work with were the ones that were able to be full cycle, right? Most don't like it, but that's the unfortunate truth. Yeah, you know? tough luck. <laughs> and yeah, so like I, I would really just really dig into everything that's happening, understanding the numbers, understanding each region that they're trying to get into, understanding why some of the things that they're seeing aren't working. And it's normally because they're overcomplicating it and just not, not thinking through things like moving too quick, but not thinking through it enough. And I've, I've had the, the, the look to be able to, um, to be able to see lots of mistakes being made and made a lot of mistakes myself. You know, I made a huge amount of mistakes yeah. and having worked in the tech space, there's always been a lot of money floating around to make big mistakes. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of the things about working in the tech space. So now when I make a decision or if I see something, I'm normally like 60 to 70% sure if it's going to work or not, rather than others that may be only 30 or 40%, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. because, I've, because I've absolutely messed it up before myself. All right. It's the best teacher <laughs> making mistakes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, that's, that was yeah. a very long answer. So my apologies, my monologues here. No, 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 you're good. I, I thought I really appreciated kind of the deep dive into the sales marketing and sales development and some of the, the problems you see within each one. Um, I'm a little bit curious about if you see any problems with like alignment between them. Do you have like sales and marketing butt heads or ever see issues? Maybe they don't know where to put an SDR like under one or the other by themselves situations like that. Sales and marketing never have any problems. They're always fine. Yeah, what are you talking uh, about? We're yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think that problem was solved. Um, no, so yeah, there, there's always issues. So like, um, if you look at it, like, there's all, there's one there's one particular piece of research which is super interesting, which I, I talk about quite often, quite often. That was put together by Gartner a couple of years back, and they I think it was in 2020, and they interviewed a couple of thousand marketing and sales teams um large medium to large size companies 
and they found that only 8% of, of all of those companies would actually have what you would call alignment between marketing and sales. Jeez. 8%. That means like eight out of every hundred companies are aligned. <laughs> yeah. That means 92 out of every hundred are not, right? Which is wild, oh. right? <laughs> so, so the chances are that your sales and marketing are not aligned, right? So, so like some of the things that you see is, is like, I ask simple questions. I'm not, I'm not, a, I don't sell myself as a particularly intelligent person, but I do have common sense. Right. And some things I just, for me, I think sometimes I'm like, how is this not clear to people? You know, mm. like common sense. I think common sense does not prevail hmm. all the time. Unfortunately. Like, yeah, exactly. And common sense to me is how do you start aligning sales and marketing teams? Well, do they actually talk to one another? You know, like, ha, ha, do, do you talk to your marketing team or do you talk to your sales team? And one of the first questions I would typically ask the marketing team is like, how often, I do this individual marketers, how often are you speaking with your sales counterparts? When do you have your one-on-one? -on -one? And first of all, the, the answer to question one is how often are you doing? Well, we had the company catch up there, like, you know, in summer where we all got pissed and had a great yeah. time. And our our to quarterly talk. yell at each other meeting. It's, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's typically like company catch us, whatever. And yeah, we all, we all had, you know, we all got drunk together and had a great time. And, you know, <laughs> I've got a great relationship with Bill or Jen from sales, you know, because we got drunk and had a great time. Right. It's like, okay, when was that? It was like six months ago. So when are you planning to meet them again? Oh, we have the Christmas one coming up, you know? So I'm probably going to speak with them, get drunk with them there. I'm like, that's not what I mean. It's like, like every, every week you should be speaking or at least conversing with somebody on the sales team because they're the ones that are at the forefront with the prospect, with the customer, right. understanding what's happening in the market. They should be conveying information back to you. I'm not saying be their lapdog, but I'm saying that you need to be able to interpret what's happening on the outside world rather than us coming up with something ourselves and they're like, ah, oh, they're going to love that. Like, <laughs> you know, the prospect are going to find, these are going to find is brilliant. How do you know? You've got no, no litmus test for it, right? And that's right. why you need to go through the sales team. And, and um, then the sales team, what you want to avoid is as well is the sales team that don't see um, value in marketing. So I see mm -hmm. that quite often. Our marketing team is shit. Don't, don't they're giving us there. bad leads. Uh, the leads, the leads are awful. Leads are all, regardless that's a separate thing. We'll talk about that in a minute. Let's get back okay. to that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this down. Leads, are bad. Leads equal so, bad. So, so, what I, so one of those things that you see with the, with the sales and marketing team is that the, like the sales team, if they, if they don't believe in marketing, what they'll do is in their outreach, they'll start creating their own messaging, which is horrendous. Because what happens is you've got marketing teams going out trying to build a brand and build a position, build a message. And the sales team are like, we don't agree with that. So we're just going to go out and build our own. And yeah. every salesperson basically builds out their own cadence and sells the product in a different way, which is bad because what happens is they end up selling it. And where it really struggles is with customer success. Then when customer mm. success are then trying to bring, uh, like trying to, trying to deliver the dream that the salesperson has sold. Right it ends in big trouble. So it's important that that sales and marketing are aligned in that place, that space. And the leads are bad thing that you're talking about is this is an interesting one. Cause I've always, I've always heard that. Right? It's like, mm -hmm. Oh, what do sales it's, teams need more of leads. demo requests? I just need more yeah. demo requests. It's, like, it's ubiquitous across any organization that, that has a marketing funnel to, to feed the sales team. 
100%. But they don't, but the problem is they don't know what good and bad look like mm. because they're not, they're not in this world, right? Mm. So we know, like, if you're using a traditional lead gen model whereby you're, you're doing broad top of funnel and then you're bringing things down to what you're calling marketing qualified leads, sales qualified leads, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to maybe an account-based marketing side of things which you probably turn the funnel upside down and have it tailored or very very ta- like laser focused right um but it let's let's assume the older model which is like the traditional lead gen model to sales they're like oh we just need more leads and we need more better leads and we're like okay i always ask the question so you say you want more leads and you're saying the leads that we're bringing in are shitty okay like what percentage what percentage of the leads that we're bringing in are shitty like what percentage do you think and they're like Oh, I don't know, man, like maybe like 30% of the leads that I get are shitty. I'm like, that is fantastic news to have a pizza yeah. party. If because, <laughs> like, because 70% of the stuff that we should be bringing into should be Mickey Mouse at DonaldDuck.com. Yeah. If yeah. I had a 70% in, in some capacity, like marketing lead to first touch sales meeting ratio, I would be ecstatic. Exactly. Exactly. But here's the thing. This is not on the market. This is not on the sales team. This is on the marketers to be able to articulate what good versus bad mm-hmm. looks like. So you need to have a marketing leader that's willing to sit down with the sales team or the SDR team and teach them. So what I always did with SDR teams is even at Exponia, when I first started taking over the SDR team there, I sat them down and brought them down through like lead gen 101. Mm. I created a deck lead gen 101. I spent an afternoon with them telling them all of this stuff like this is what to anticipate with a traditional lead gen model if we change to an avn model this is what we anticipate this is what lead gen is this is what demand gen is this is what avm is these are marketing channels this is paid versus organic this is what you this is how you get better seo i basically brought them to marketing 101 because they didn't know it. Right? right. And it's impossible to expect a lot of, you brought this up before, SDRs are, are often junior. They're, they're probably the youngest person at the company. They typically don't have a, a degree in sales or marketing. So they're coming in blind in terms of knowing all of this stuff. They just get tossed into the fire. And if they don't have this education, they're not going to know what to do with it. Even if they do have a degree in sales and marketing, you, what you won't find is there's no universities or anything that teaches lead gen. Mm-hmm. Lead gen to my generation is a new form, a new way of thinking, which is not really taught in universities. People, you, you learn it on the ground. Like I studied marketing. I studied marketing in the best marketing university in Ireland. And there was not one mention of lead generation. <laughs> it was all FMCG bullshit. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's just not taught. I maybe mm. nowadays it's better, but, Back then, at least, wasn't taught. Crazy, yeah. I think it's 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 interesting that you, and and to your point, you know, you get brought in now as this unbiased third party individual to to do a lot of the stuff that you had been doing previously as as the head of marketing at organizations. But um, it to your point, it takes that person who really understands that, like, I as a leader and the sales or marketing team need to take the responsibility teach and show and educate and help the people on my team get to where we as an organization want to go. And and more often than not, they just get, and you you brought this up in a LinkedIn post recently. I thought it was brilliant. They get 
they get these numbers given to them by leadership to say, hey, we have to hit these numbers. We have to close X amount of dollars in revenue. And to do that, that means we need X amount of activities from the SDR team, or we need X amount of MQLs from, from marketing. You, you referred to the phenomenon as bullshit targets in the fact that like these are just pie in the sky numbers that we need these because these are the numbers that we need. And then they get trickled down to, to the teams. They don't have the education to understand, okay, why, why is this the number that I have to hit? How can I get there? What, what am I being supported? Uh, how am I being supported to get to that number? That doesn't exist. You just have to hit it. Um, what, what, would you, what advice would you give to an organization that has bullshit targets in place and, and how can they sort of course correct and make sure that like what they're giving to the reps makes sense and how are they supporting them to get to the numbers that makes sense overall for the organization? Don't give them bullshit targets. I mean, yeah. That's... <laughs> <laughs> so no, so, so no that, I'm, I'm sorry. That was me being smart. But, but it's sort of though, sort of like, it, I think because it's it, it like, um, there's a saying over in Europe, but I think it comes from an Italian saying that the fish normally stinks from the head, right? So, so it's, it's normally the problem is up top. Okay. So, and it normally stems from VCs or right. the board requesting and saying, this is the number that you need to hit. And the problem is that people need to sometimes grow up and look at what's actually reasonable and what's feasible. And typically it's like, okay, we just need to make it work because somebody's telling us that they need to make, that we need to make it work because of the money that we're, that we need to get from this particular organization or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, any that's and that's the problem with that is is that that's leadership not being not having the experience and maybe working with VCs to be able to push back. Okay, I push back and also say what's not possible because the one thing that VCs love obviously is money and getting a return on investment. Yeah, but one thing that they will appreciate and respect is um, you not surprising them. So what you, what you do, what if you, to, to make a VC very unhappy, you surprise them with bad results. Right. Quarter after quarter after quarter. Okay. So I think that although the conversations will be difficult and it may mean that you may need to tighten your belt here or there, you might need to say, okay, we need to let people go or we need to, we need to do something differently. But I think most teams will know what's reasonable and what's not in terms of number of X growth that are going to happen in the corresponding year. So if you've got a C-suite that are coming back down to their team and saying, we need to 4X the revenue this year, quadruple our revenue, and you're already at, let's say, 15 million ARR, is it reasonable to expect that you're going to be closing 60 million annual recurring revenue, revenue in one year? An additional 45 on top of what you already have. Right. With I think not. Yeah. With probably no real change in how you're going to get to that number, right? It's just, hey, this is just what we have to do now. Exactly. Exactly. And then, uh, you know, you get that. So this is a massive exaggeration. There's no company on the planet, apart from maybe one or two unicorns, that could actually take that jump from 15 to 60 million. I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying that's ever been an ask for me, but it, I've been in a position before where I was also in a leadership position and I was less mature than I am now and accepted targets that were handed out by by the hand that feed that fed us, right? Mm-hmm. So in in VCs and saying, okay, you do need to jump from, let's say, eight million to twenty million, 
right? And those, those targets are maybe being given to you in January. So you're already, <laughs> you're already behind at that point yeah. because you have a, maybe a six month sales cycle. You know? so, <laughs> so, 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 so it's already an undoable task, but I, I agreed to it. So I think there's something up the top where, whereby it's okay to disagree with targets and okay to push back at targets. And um, that's something that needs to be worked on in the tech space, because especially with sales, if sales are pushing back and heads of sales, VP of sales, pushing back on targets and saying that's just not reasonable or not going to be reached, then I think the time might be changing a little bit. But up until this point in time, the thought process is, well, if they can't do it, we'll find somebody else that can. Yeah. Or find somebody, find somebody that will agree to doing it. Right, not that can, not that, that can, can just, <laughs> I can do it, sure. Like, exactly. sure, okay, go for it, buddy. Yeah, there's that that disconnect between the people who are actually doing the work and the people who oversee the people doing that work. And it's, you would assume if if I'm managing the SDR team, I would probably know more than anybody else what our, our feasible capacity is. What can we actually produce? Um, but more often than not, that's, you know, I'm, I'm not consulted in that capacity and it's just, this is what you got to do. So that's a really good yeah. point. I think it's just immaturity at leadership because you've got like people that are founders of companies in, in leadership positions that haven't done it before, which you don't get in traditional industry, right? So in tech, because there's a big startup scene in tech, you've got people in their mid twenties that find themselves as a CEO of a company that's got three or 400 people work and they're dealing with VCs and VCs, to be fair, as I said, a VC will will listen to you. If you say early on, hey, like, I don't think this is going to work. Like, I don't think we're going to be able to hit that growth rate. We're not going to be able to do X, Y, Z. Then they will say, okay, that's great that we're actually having this conversation now. But if you agree to it as a founder, just like, just give me the money, we'll find a way, which happens a lot of the time, then the VC are going to end up pretty pissed with you at some point in the year when you're 70% behind target, right? It's, uh, as I said, they don't like surprises. Yeah. And it also seems like there's maybe a misaligned goal. Like the reason that the, the founder or CEO might not want to push back is because they, they're right scared of getting less money. And it's possible that the VC will give them less money. So it's also understanding how your expectations as a founder who's building the company are related to the goals of the sales and SDR teams, right? Like, is there often misalignment there too? Uh, yeah, I, 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 well, so I, I don't think they're even thinking about the sales and, and SDR team, right. if that's what you mean. So they're not even, that's an afterthought. That's right. after they agree to how they're, how much they're going to grow by. Then they say, okay, sales and sales, SDR marketing, you need to make it happen now. Right. But it's, um, yeah, I, I think the tide is changing somewhat. I think a couple of years back, I, I think it was very much focused, grow, 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 no matter what. And I think um, things have changed now that people or organizations are more focused on profitability than they ever have before in the tech space. Because I think people started to realize this is a big bubble that can really burst at any yeah. time because like, there's so much money floating around. There's so much venture capital money floating around. It's like really like tech startups are coming and going all the time. We don't really care about their cash burn. All we really care about is how many logos they're bringing in, and then we'll worry mm -hmm. about the cash burn somewhere else or at some other point in time. Mm -hmm. And basically, like I, I read a, an analogy about it before, is super interesting. And in that basically, the, the way that it was working up until not so long ago is with large corporations or large tech startups, let's take Twitter as an example. 
Like Twitter had a multi-billion dollar valuation, multi, multi, multi-billion dollar valuation and was not even profitable. Yeah. So what do you get with that? You get people coming in in investment rounds, handing over cash for stock. The stock price is going up. People get the stock. What happens then is the investors from the previous round bow out with their cash and go, thank you very much. And basically what you're doing is you're passing this baton along and along, keep on going down the keep on going down this like path until you get to a point where something from the market breaks there's an external influencer of sorts that nobody can foresee what it is but global crash for example or the dot-com bust that happened in the year 2000 right Mm -hmm. nobody foresee that thing happening right something happens on the outside an external trigger which basically just topples the whole thing and there's somebody left at the end of the chain holding the bat on being like uh, I just invested a couple of billion here. Why, when am I getting that back? You're not. Yeah. But all these other guys got it back. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you're not getting shit. Yeah, you, you, know? you were too late. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. That that's not sustain. That's not how business works. You know, like right. that's not how traditional businesses worked. You know. So I think this the 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 conversation that I've been having with a lot of venture capitalists, which is actually a very mature conversation, is hey guys, like we want to see the growth, but. When is that growth meeting that profitability and how efficient are you being? They're looking at efficiency metrics like, like your, your uh, lifetime value to customer acquisition costs. Is that a, a, a strong point? The cost of doing sales. Are you hitting things like is an SDR or a salesperson paying themselves off three times in one year? right? So whatever they're bringing in needs to be three times what their salary is. So that, that's an efficiency metric that you should be looking at. And they're very much honing in on those things nowadays, whereas five, 10 years ago, it was like, how many more logos can you put in the wall? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, we went off track there a little bit. Boys, no, it's but, uh... fine. <laughs> I know we're, we're actually running up to the, the end of our time. And I do want to finish with one question specifically for you, because I, I've been following you on LinkedIn for a while now. Um, I know some of our audience probably has, has seen some of your posting. You, you end every single post of yours with go get them. Um, when and why did you start doing that? I think it's I think it's a fun little like branding thing that you do, but I'm curious to hear from yourself as to why you did that. I don't remember. Being very <laughs> honest with you, <laughs> that's a very I could come up with a complete nonsense answer for this on the spot, but no, I actually don't remember when I started that. And um, I've got little catchphrases, right? And it's just something that I. I've I found works really nicely for me and they catch on to other people as well. Like people, you know me as the go get them guy, right? Yeah. Like I had people like I simple example, like last summer I went on vacation and put up like a picture saying I'm on vacation for a couple of weeks. You want to hear anything from me, right? And people were like texting me saying, Oh, go get them. Like people, like third, not even first level contacts, like third level contacts telling me to go get them while I'm on oh, vacation. Man. I'm like, Okay, so that's working. Like, <laughs> you don't realize the reach that you have. Yeah. And uh, something that I always do with SDR teams and such that I was working with was um, like I use I say attaboy quite a bit, right? Huh. And they're like seek out to get an attaboy from Andy. That's like that's a, so funny. That's a stamp of approval. If you get an Andy attaboy, that's you know <laughs> it's I, like I, um. It's like getting the handshake from Paul Hollywood for the the Great British Bake Off. As soon as you know you got that handshake, you're like, "Holy cow! Like, I, mean, I did something. I did something great today." I'm in, and it's so powerful. It really is. It turned into this powerful thing that I don't know how I started it, but I was just like, I, I really can't remember. But it turned into another one of those phrases that 
I didn't use for everyone and all the time because it was like I needed to be like taking care of it a little bit so that I wasn't like blowing out other boys to everywhere, right? But it was uh but and people actually took it. I was like, wow, like like this is oh great, I got Andy's out of boy today. And I'm like, it's powerful. So like, what have I again, done? <laughs> again, exactly. This is scary. So I yeah, so I, I don't know. I I'm, I think just um repetition when you're trying to create a brand is just really important. Mm-hmm. Like you just need to keep on saying it again and again and again and again and again and again and again after that and again after that. And it starts to catch on, right? And um that but the go get them thing. I don't know. I, I really don't know how I started or why I started or yeah. AJ, you didn't scroll all the way back in his. I didn't. His yeah, I didn't go past. First one was. I think a, a few. I honestly like. I remembered seeing it and I was like, yeah, like he ends with go get him. And then I was like, what if I go back like 13, 14, 15 posts? Are they all in there? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to keep going. They're all here. Fifteen for fifteen is good enough for me. <laughs> they are all there. Yeah. Like I always put it in. And my family are now taking the piss out of me as well. You know, like they're like, "Oh yeah, look at you, go get them!" Like they're they're signing off text messages and everything to me. You know, all my mates back in Ireland are like are giving me a hard time about it as well. So you need to put you need to take a lot of a lot of a lot of a a lot of piss taken as well for coming up with these things. But you know, for sure. But if I mean, hey, if it works, like it's all worth it. That's what I say. That's what I say. So like another thing that I start a lot of my posts with is yo. So yo sales leaders, yo marketers, mm. yo sales, whatever. And I made him my back in Ireland. Just it's all over that all the time. Yo. You know, he's like, yo, Andy, like, <laughs> let me offer you some cool sales tips. He's not even, he's in the entertainment industry, right? So he doesn't get it. <laughs> and I'm like that yo and attaboy and go get him has made me a lot of money. So, <laughs> so yeah. That's funny. Uh, well, Andy, thanks so much for, for hopping on and chatting with us today. I appreciate it. Um, if people want to learn more about you, see the yo's and the, and the go get uh, where can they find you online? Yeah, you can get me on LinkedIn, uh, Andy Culligan, or you can go and check out my website, andyculligan.com. And yeah, that's it. Like if you, if you want something or, or need any advice, or whatever, please just reach out. I'm quite available when it comes to LinkedIn. So if you need anything, just uh, pop me a message. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, thanks again for hopping on. Remember to subscribe to the Unsubscribe podcast to get more sales development tips, tricks, and advice. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for watching this episode of Unsubscribe, the Demand Drive podcast. If you want less of those nasty unsubscribe emails in your inbox, go ahead and check out some of the content we have to the left. And make sure that you subscribe to Unsubscribe to keep your SDR team in tip-top shape.